want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. Podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. And it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your own today. Do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Terminal City FC Podcast, talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello everyone, Happy New Year to all you all, hope you had a good Christmas, welcome to the First episode of Terminal City FC of 2023, it's episode 62. Josh Ray joined alongside Nathan Derrick, and Nathan, can't you believe it? Whitecap season is very close because preseason begins in just a few days, which is hard to believe. Yeah, the players will get a meeting for their their, uh, their medicals coming back on January 6th, which for right now is only two days away. And it's next Monday, they'll already have their first training sessions. Yep. Players will be making their way back to Vancouver, and they'll be training out at the National Soccer Development Center out at UBC. And then at the end of the month, the team will head to Coachella Valley for the Invitational to have their official preseason against other MLS teams, and we talked about it before. This is a lot better than last year because they're facing competition on their level. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we, I mean, and even Axel uh, Schuster, uh, sporting director and CEO of the Whitecaps, mentioned uh, in his end of the year comments that they kind of, uh, you know, shot themselves in the foot a little bit with their, their preseason in the fact that they weren't playing MLS caliber sides. So they came into their season last year and almost had to have that those first eight games like a brand new preseason. They're hoping that that doesn't happen this year and that by playing in this Invitational, which is going to be the Whitecaps plus 11 other uh, MLS sides that it will actually yep. give them a bit of a leg up. And I mean, we're talking about teams like 
New York Red Bull, the Timbers, TFC, NYFC, both LA teams. I mean, there is a lot of big, big teams. On top of it, it's also going to be a chance to meet the brand new expansion side in St. Louis. That's right. And it's good to have that kind of competition in the preseason, get you warmed up, and help the team figure out what's right and what's wrong before the season starts on February 25th. But that's not all, because the Whitecaps will be heading to Spain this month, it looks like, and they will play a friendly against second-tier Bundesliga side HSV Hamburg on January 18th. Now, the Whitecaps haven't announced it yet, but Hamburg themselves have announced it on their website. Yeah, you know what? This is, uh, I mean, again, this kind of shows the uh, the connection through Axel Schuster. I mean, he's been involved with a couple of different uh, uh, Bundesliga clubs from Germany, uh, Mainz, where he came up through, and then also with uh, Schalke. Uh, the connection to Hamburg, I'm not too sure what it is, being that they're in uh, the second division. But this is still a team that is, I guess they might be a bit of a yo-yo club right now because they kind of seem to go back and forth. Right now, they're second in, in their uh, division, which, you know, puts them in a promotion spot, this, it's a, it's basically, it's brand new competition, right? It kind of gets the Whitecaps a little bit of out of their elements and uh, should be exciting and, you know, kind of shake them up a little bit. Yeah, it gives them extra motivation for the preseason playing. While the team in the second Bundesliga is still a decent side and it kind of opens, opens up for Hamburg because, they were supposed to have a game against SC Freiburg on January 13th, but that game, for whatever reason, is cancelled. So, I guess the team needed something to do around that period between the 7th and 28th, so they're playing a friendly against the Whitecaps. Well, the thing is, you got to remember, in Germany, they actually, German, the German league stopped for a winter break. And I don't know how that works with the World Cup and when that happened, but in their second division, they still have that. So... Hamburg is actually in the midst of their own training camp at that time as well. So it kind of just works out for both sides. Yeah. And it's good for the Whitecaps to get get, get into gear. And it's, it will be nice to see them play a team from Europe, uh, even though it's preseason. It's like a kind of like a mock exam in some ways. But... The mock exam is harder than the actual exam in some ways. I like that. I don't, know the, I don't know if that's the best analogy, but... I like it. Yeah, I mean, if you like it, that's fine. That's great, actually. But My hope, my hope is that any of these games, whether it's uh, the, the friendly in, uh, in Spain against uh, Hamburg or the Coachella Valley Invitational, my hope is that somehow these will be televised. Right now, there is absolutely no information Nothing. about that, uh, including on the Coachella Valley uh, Invitational website. They It doesn't look like they have any TV sponsors or anything like that. My hope is that it might be shown on club individual websites, but that remains to be seen. Once we have information, obviously we'll pass that along. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. like they, The club um, streams it. At least well, the thing is, is the invitational in particular, which the Whitecaps will be playing. I, I believe there's a, about five games that they will be playing as a part of that. Th- that is open to the public, right? Like you can buy tickets right. if you happen to be in Palm Springs and go check it out. Whether you can, you know, see it streaming, it, in my in my mind, it makes sense, right? This is something that if it isn't being done, it's something that should absolutely be talked about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And give the fans a taste of what we could expect into this season. And since it's January, transfer window is open, and the Whitecaps seem to be close to signing their first player of the window, and that is a center back. And they've been on this player for what it feels like months. Mateus Laborda, the deal seems to be close, and he's reportedly having his going to have his medical in L.A. And this guy is 23 years old, just a free agent out of Nationale, out of Uruguay. He's a Uruguayan international, and apparently he turned out some big names in Argentina to join Whitecaps FC. This is a guy that in his youth actually was scouted several times by Barcelona. Um, you know what? 23 years old. He's six feet tall. He's actually taller than I thought he was, which I'm pleasantly surprised, especially for someone playing on the defense. And he also, he fits a profile that Vanny Sartini likes in that he can actually play multiple positions. He plays center back as well as right back. So think of it kind of like a Tristan Blackman in that regard, right? And that's something that's important right now because at right back, the Whitecaps are very, very thin. After Nerwinski right. left uh, to go to St. Louis, we have uh, all we have there is Javane Brown. So it's something that we need to pay attention to. But let's take a look at the team that he's actually coming from, Nationale in uh, Uruguay. Nationale is one of the best teams in Uruguay. It's usually it, it's kind of between them, River Plates. You've also got, you know, they have their own, Liverpool and uh, Danubio. Those are like the, the teams that you really talk about when you're in Uruguay. But over their uh, 2022 kind of uh, open uh, open uh, opening of their season in 15 games, they only lost one game. That's it. One game they yep. lost and only nine goals against in those 15 games. So you got to think, like, he is a part of that a very, very stingy defense, which is really, really good. And if you actually take a look at the player profile of Matias uh, Laborda compared to the league average in Uruguay, he ticks all the boxes in terms of being above and beyond all defenders that there is in that league. He's lower on fouls. He's better in duels, in clearances, in aerial wins, in passing percentage, you name it. Like this guy for 23 years old is an all-round defender in exactly what you want from your defender. And the fact and that my big thing is that his passing accuracy is so good, he's another guy that can play out of the back. Right, and he's only 23, but he's had 100 appearances for Nationale. Yeah. He's also been uh, capped with uh, the various youth teams of Uruguay, uh, most recently with the under-23s in 2020. Hasn't made it to the big, uh, the, the top team yet, but, I mean, 23, he's young. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm just looking at Caleb Wilkins of 86 Forever's deep dive, and, yeah, pretty much the stuff you said. Very good at defensive duels, especially around one-on-ones, and sure, he can't pass the ball, but he's not the best at it. Like, he was in the 50th percentile of progressive passes, and the only pe problem people have with Laborda is that he's not left-footed. He's not left-footed, but, I mean, that's understandable if he always plays right back. And even though his progressive passing might not be there, he might be more of a lateral guy, that's going to be dependent on whether he plays at a fullback or a centre-back position. The thing is, is his passing accuracy is around the 90th percentile. So that's something I'm so, okay with. Yeah, I mean, this is a decent signing, and 
Laborda, if Vanny Sarcini goes with a 4-2-2-2 slash hybrid back 3, Laborda can play, yeah, yeah, he can play right back, he can play right center back, he can even play left center back if needed, but ideally you could put Tristan Blackman on the left side for left center back because he has played there last season, but looked all right. And it would have been ideal if Laborda was left left-footed, but he's a guy who is pretty good at recoveries and defensive duels. So, I mean, I mean there's a lot to like here. The one thing we have to be honest is, yes, the, the player fits a decent profile that we like. It might not necessarily be the position we are looking for in terms of a primary player that plays center back. The fact that he can do right back as well makes him a bit more attractive. His the 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 stats around him makes him attractive, but really, what really makes him attractive is that he's a free transfer. I mean, let's be honest with that. The fact that he's a free transfer is attractive for the Whitecaps. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. And yeah, I do have in my depth chart, picturing it right now. I do have Blackman playing left center back, though Laborda and that position could work. But let's we should put the new signing uh, in his natural position. And Blackman has the experience on the left side, as I said. So, free signing should be announced within the next few days once uh, everything is settled, what is medical, and he still has to receive his Canadian visa yeah. as well. So, it's only a matter of time before the White gets official an account just says he's been signed. On top of that, uh, we got one player potentially coming in. There is another player on their way out again, Kyle Alexandre. His loan to uh, Fortezella in uh, Brazil has now been extended until the end of 2023. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. No, it shouldn't be. And it seems like he's enjoying life there. And he's doing pretty well. And this could this is likely the nail in the coffin in his Whitecaps career. I'd be pretty surprised if he does decide to come back, and I feel like this could be a permanent move at the end of when the loan deal expires, because he seems to be doing pretty well there, and again, I do wish that um, the Whitecaps gave him a better opportunity. Sure, he was injured a lot and had to get fit, but he is a guy that had potential, I mean, still has potential, he's doing pretty well in Fortaleza, but they should have gave him a better opportunity with the Whitecaps, and I feel like this is a signing that is, like, that's getting away. It is, and the thing that makes me a little bit more angry with this as well is that he is one of three U22 initiative players, so he is still taking a contract spot on the Whitecaps that could be used elsewhere to bring in high-quality younger players. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I would almost feel better that if they were going to let him go, let him go. Like take, because this take is taking out and... a very coveted roster spot that you could have used elsewhere. Yeah. Just let him go. Take the cash, find someone, someone else. I mean, this really sucks because yeah. I believe yeah. Alexandre was, the second most expensive signing in Whitecaps history behind Lucas Cavalier. Yeah. So that's more money wasted. 
well, you know, you're a, you're a Chelsea fan. I'm a Spurs fan. So we all know about money wasted, right? Right. But this one really hurts. It does. Because, it does. because the thing is, is I think the player could have a home with the Whitecaps. And I think he could have done well. But I did they, too. They've already moved. They It does feel like they've already moved uh, on from him when they're bringing in players like Shop and, you know, everything else. So I don't know. In my mind, it would have been better to just cut the cord get whatever cash you can reinvest elsewhere and then use that specific contract uh, option, a U22 initiative contract option, you know, on a different player that's actually going to be at the Whitecaps. <laughs> yeah. And one that will get opportunity instead of sitting on the bench. Yeah. Cause that didn't really help his development. And I don't think he was happy about that. And there's a reason why he's loving life down there. So we're still waiting to hear about other players potentially coming in and out. We've talked about it before in terms of what the Whitecaps need. They need, uh, we know that they're they're kicking the tires pretty much everywhere they can for another uh, high quality striker. Uh, yep. Likely that's going to be where that DP spot gets used uh, with the uh, the exit of Lucas Cavallini. We're still possibly looking at a goalkeeper, so we got to keep that in mind. And there's nothing but rumors surrounding the Whitecaps. Riker situation, nothing really reliable that we should say on here, but time's ticking. I know the window just opened, but I'm really intrigued to see who they sign as the DP striker. Yeah, yeah, I am too, especially now that we have a, a camp coming up here right away and that they'll be taken off to Europe. I mean, it's this is something that you want a player like that to have time with their teammates. And if they can go on a trip like that, I mean, the bonding experience, that's what, that's kind of what cements you as part of that group. Yeah. And get the guy ready, like whoever it is. Yeah. 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 So the guy needs a preseason and same with the goalkeeper that they hope to sign. So we'll see where the next few weeks that, Hopefully more players will be coming in to the Whitecaps, but before we wrap up the Whitecaps talk, Porter groups of all three Cascadia teams, as the Whitecaps, Sounders, and Timbers, have released a joint statement because they are upset about the uneven scheduling between the three clubs. Yeah, basically what it is, is the way it's set up, uh, this was actually released jointly between uh, the Southsiders, the Timbers Army, and the Emerald City supporters. They're, they're upset in the fact that the way the schedule is, is when you see your uh, these other two Cascadia teams in your home stadium, you're going to see one of the teams once and then the other team twice. And that's the way it's going to work at all these different stadiums. So we're, we're still seeing each other the same amount of times, but there's unevenness in terms of how the player, the teams play against each other in home and away. And that make that there's questions about whether that makes the Cascadia cup unbalanced. Now, what they've decided collectively is that every Every game is still going to count the same, and they're just going to have to deal with the the, the imbalance. But you know, they they wanted to register their distaste with the, the scheduling with MLS. My question is: is that's all fine and well and done? But did you expect anything to change? Every time you bring yeah. brand new teams into this league, the scheduling gets thrown out of whack because the numbers don't work anymore. This is unfortunately this. This is what's going to fall by the wayside, especially when it comes to these localized rivalries and these localized competitions. We like them as fans, but MLS, 
and for what they're, I mean, I don't really think they care. <laughs> Other than marketing. Yeah, that's it. Right, and the Whitecaps play Seattle twice at home. They only go down to Lumen Field once. They play the Timbers once at home, but go down to Providence Park twice. Yeah, so it's, we, that's kind of how you see how it works. Yeah, it's not fair. I get it, but I don't expect it to change, to be honest. The thing is, is you have to see each team's uh, based in your conference and then out of conference a certain number of times. I don't know how you make this work any other way. So that's it's. I'm, I think this is just one of those things where you kind of have to just swallow it. Yeah, it sucks, but we have to go through it. It's like with the seven thirty starts. It sucks, but we apparently we have to go through it. Yeah, pretty much. Let's talk about when we're talking about transfer rumors. Let's talk about all the Canadians that could be possibly on the move because oh, yeah. you know right now, and especially after after all the moves that we've already seen after the World Cup, we might not be done yet. Oh no, we're just getting started. And Jonathan David, of course, is attracting interest from multiple clubs, and the latest is none other than Bayern Munich. I like this. I like the fact that it's Bayern Munich and the fact that I know that he would fit right into that lineup. I also like the fact that I like how Bayern Munich develops players. I I really, really like this, and I really hope this comes to fruition. I think if he goes to Spain, I think if he goes to the Premier League, he can be part of a squad, but he might not necessarily be the guy that's counted on. Yeah, because Bayern Munich don't really have a decent, a good best striker option after Lewandowski went to Barcelona. I mean, while they're still a good team, they still need a striker because in their last game against Schalke before the World Cup, their striker, while he did score, is Eric Schuppel-Moltenk. Well, not a first-team guy. Like, yeah, not, the, not a guy you expect to lead the line long-term, and Jonathan David fits that profile as a long-term guy. Yeah, uh, I think this, I like I said, I hope this uh, comes to fruition because not only can he be a long-term guy, I think he's a guy that can slot in the lineup right away, and I think that he will become a better player for it. I also think that he's not going to get lost, right? Like, I know that there's rumors about him moving, whether Real Madrid was interested in him once, whether there's Arsenal or Chelsea or, or any of these other ones. I, I I think there's too much of an opportunity to, for him to get forgotten in, in those teams uh, rather than yeah. being at Bayern. Yeah, at Bayern, he can take the center stage. Yeah, but a team like Arsenal, I know Gabriel Jesus has struggled with injuries, but... He probably would be behind Jesus on the pecking order. Yeah. Atletico Madrid is a intriguing option because it looks like Joe Felix is leaving and he could take center stage there. But with Bayern, like, I mean, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah. Alfonso Davies is there, his Canadian buddy. Yeah. So that can help him get settled. He can help him get settled in there. And he'll be playing with Thomas Muller, Serge Gnabry. Leon Goretzka, so we'll be getting a lot of service there. Exactly, right? Like, I, I think, yeah, I, I, everything about this, as soon as I heard this as a possibility, and it's the most recent one that of of all these uh, big, big European clubs that seem to be kind of looking towards them, this is the one that really, really captivated me. Right. So, it looks like um, 
it's impossible for Jonathan David to be kept at Lille beyond the season, and it's possible he could even leave this month, though not guaranteed. And David himself has expressed interest in the Premier League. He has. But we'll see where it goes from here with Jonathan David. But Tejon Buchanan has had interest among many other European sides. And apparently the latest is Inter Milan. There's been a lot of interest for uh, Tejon Buchanan from uh, Italian clubs. Uh, yeah, that's right. Inter Milan is really, really looking at him. It's going to be dependent uh, on whether or not Denzel Dumfries moves on. Uh, Dumfries uh, had, let's be honest, had a really, really good World Cup uh, with Netherlands, I believe, and uh, really, really kind of showcased himself in that right, right back, right wing back position. And there's a lot of teams interested in him. If he goes, Milan or Inter moves for Buchanan. Whether or not if Dumfries doesn't, that's going to be the sticking point. Um, so I think it's just a matter of waiting. The interesting thing is Buchanan, he's still very, very new into his career with Club Bruges. So I do wonder what sort of transfer fee is going to be have to paid for a player that's really only what six months, seven months into his yeah. Because he just he was just he just signed there not too long ago. Exactly right. He just started the season there. Yeah, and he's doing pretty well. So I guess Bruges is going to want a hefty fee for Buchanan. I'm assuming that they're going to want at least... Well, they're going to want to not only recoup what they paid for him, but they're going to want uh, a premium on top of that, specifically to basically compensate for the length of that contract. Yeah, that's right. And I feel like Buchanan could work in Serie A, like yep. just with his playing style. Yep. With, you know, I think it's a good move for him. But yeah, if if... Intro is the place. You're going to want someone like Dumfries to go first. Otherwise, you're going to be second fiddle. That's right. And Alistair Johnson, we all know he went to Celtic. And his first game was the old firm against the Rangers at the Ebrox. And he did pretty well in that game as Celtic drew 2-2. And they are still on top of the Scottish League table by nine points. Yeah. And that's not all, because Johnson's efforts, he's been named to the team of the week. I don't know if you happen to catch any of the clips uh, of this game. I, I couldn't watch it, but I, I saw uh, clips that were kind of focusing on him. His ability to track back and uh, oh, yeah. uh, catch wingers before they even have a chance to kind of cut inside, his speed is second to none. That's something, I mean, I knew he was fast watching with Montreal. I didn't realize how fast he was. Yeah, like the guy, look, look, there's a clip of from Peter Galindo that saw him track back. And that was like, I mean, he, he ran like almost half the length of the pitch. I think I know which one you're talking about. And the, the one thing that, that really caught me funny is uh, that clip showed him tracking back on the left side. He's a right back. <laughs> so yeah, and, he's all over the place defensively. Yeah, even in just the first half alone, he had an 88% passing rate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Celtic got themselves a good player. I mean, that's got to be... I mean, think about it, though. That is one hell of a game to have your first one with Celtic, right? Get thrown into uh, into that match? In, at the Ebrox, at the Old Firm, in one of the, my opinion, one of the best rivalries, in, not just in football, but in all sport. of sport, and just do well, 
and be named on the team of the week, pretty good. Yeah. No, and we should uh, talk about rumors. I mean, this uh, if we're talking about any rumors, I mean, you always end up talking about Alfonso Davies as well because there's always something going on with him. The rumors of him going to Real Madrid have kind of picked up over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, they are very, very early rumors. Basically, it's R- R- Real Madrid saying we have interest. But it just the mayor talk about it has Bayern reacting in the fact that they're now looking possibly to extend Davies's contract. Davies still has a uh, you know a couple years left on what he's running right now, but Bayern over the past few years has seen a few of their top players leave uh, for you know so-called bigger clubs, wherever that may be. Usually it's outside of Germany. Well, obviously it's outside of Germany. Usually it's Spain. I think they're kind of getting angry about that now, and they want to start locking up young talent that will carry them on for the next 10 years. And they're starting that with Davies. So I'm expecting... I don't think Davies will move. I think that he's going to end up getting a monster deal to stay at Bayern. I don't see him moving at all because I think he's pretty comfortable there at Bayern. He found a home there. And Bayern, they're a club that really doesn't like selling his players. So I, they I don't... have lost a, a number of players over the past They have, but that's just over the past few years. But they're very stingy when it comes to selling players. And it's usually the players that want to leave is that they that yeah, they sell and I don't think Davies wants to leave. So I'm not looking too much into this and I'm sure he'll get dated sooner or later. Yeah. Okay, let's move back to Europe. The well in the Premier League, so New Year, same old Chelsea. <laughs> so but they ended twenty twenty two on a good note where they two nothing win over Bournemouth. Pretty much dominated in the first half. Mason Mount, High Havertz both scored the goals. It was a nervy second half as Bournemouth started to look threatening, but it was a good win. But New Year's Day, Nottingham Forest, Team Chelsea should beat, right? No, that didn't happen. First half was decent. Raheem Sterling scored a tap-in after the ball hit the crossbar. I mean, he scores tap-in. Like, call him a tap-in in Merchant. All you want, but a goal is a goal, right? So, it's good to see him score again, but the second half was so terrible, because fours were dominating in the shot clock, even in possession. It's like the entire team just disappeared, except I guess Thiago Silva in some ways, but I didn't get to watch this game because I had other commitments, but seeing some of the highlights, Bournemouth looked definitely were the better team. And Kai Havertz, again, turned into a ghost. So did Mason Mount. I mean, they score against Bournemouth, and then they have a decent first half against Nottingham Forest, and then they disappear again. I don't know what it is, but they really do love to disappear. It's very frustrating to watch, and somehow Chelsea got a point. They didn't deserve a point, but they got a point. And Chelsea have not won an away game since October, and I believe that game was against Crystal Palace. Yeah. So they've only had like one win, three draws, three losses in their last seven games. 
Now let's talk about Graham Potter. Oh, by the way, Manchester City is next. Uh, tomorrow in the Premier League, I think. And then the weekend in the FA Cup, so that should be fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's talk about Graham Potter. Now I've said before that uh, backing the guy, you should get all the time he needs. He doesn't have the players he wants yet, but tactically, the guy looks very out of at his depth. And it looks like, and it's been apparent over the last few months, that Chelsea is too big of a job for him. A lot of tinkering with the lineup and the formation, but hardly any results. And he's saying the same stuff after, in the press conference, like, oh, the boy battled hard against the top side. He kind of acts like he's still at Brighton when he says, when he refers to teams like um, Nottingham Forest or, I don't know, like Arsenal. I mean, they, they are a top side now. Or Aston Villa, top side. You're not at Brighton anymore. You're at Chelsea. And the worst part is Chelsea have no identity under Graham Potter. Like, I know we talked about that he wants to play an attacking style, free-flowing, fast attacking style. But when you don't have the players that you need for that, it won't work, obviously. Now, you can blame... That can't be an excuse, right? You need... Like, Grand Potter needs to help himself here. Figure out what kind of identity he wants to have Chelsea play as. Whether... Even though he doesn't have the players he wants. Because... He, he can't... Again, you can't use that as, as an excuse. You gotta really... Hunker down and... Force an identity. Force a game plan. Every match for the point. Because top four, Champions League, any trophy, it looks, it's out of the window now. And you can say, oh yeah, we shouldn't have sacked Tuchel. I agree, it was too early, he needed more time. But he's gone, we need to move on. And Graham Potter is not going to get fired even though Chelsea finished like 10. Because he has a five-year contract. And it would take a lot of money for a top bully to pay to get out of that contract if he does choose the fire. Do you know if there's an exit clause in it? I have no idea, and because it really hasn't been mentioned, the details, other than it's a five-year deal. Yeah. But that's just a, I just have a lot of problems with Graham Potter, despite you know me supporting him, that he can be a world-class manager, but... He's not thinking like a world-class manager. He's thinking like a manager of a bottom half side. No identity. Too much tinkering. Uh, not very exciting soccer. So, you don't have the players you want, but he's got to help himself too. But, Chelsea have made some signings already. And all of them are under the age of 22. Yeah, you guys have been busy. Oh, yeah. And this is just the beginning. First one, Ivorian striker named David Datrofana. Ivorian striker? Sounds very familiar, right? Didier Drogba was one. Turned out pretty well. And he apparently plays kind of like Drogba. He's fast, and he's got strength. Good at the 1v1s, but he needs to be consistent when it comes to finishing. 
A lot of potential there. 10.5 million pounds. 20 years old from Molding, and the team he grew up cheering for? Chelsea. So, dream move. Second one, Benoit Batachille. 35 million pounds for a French center back from Lyon. 21 years old. He's very good at making passes and long balls. Error prone, but he's very good at reading the attackers. A lot of potential there, too. I think this guy up next has the most potential. Andre Santos, 18-year-old central midfielder from Vasco da Gama in Brazil, was signed for 11 million pounds plus add-ons. Him and Batashiel haven't really been confirmed yet, but the here we go has been confirmed by Mr. Fabrizio Romano. High work rate, fast, good at tackling, box-to-box midfielder, a lot of potential. So there's a lot of young talent coming into Chelsea. Carney Shuko, Shuko Omeka, never, never pronounce his name. Gabriel Slanina, the goalkeeper from Chicago Fire. A lot of, like, early 20s, late teen talent coming to Chelsea. So Todd Bowley and the crew are thinking long-term, which is good to see. Now, the biggest story around Chelsea, surrounding Chelsea right now, Enzo Fernandez, the World Cup winner with Argentina, named best young player of the tournament. Many people have said it's close to being done, but at the same time, it's not. There's no agreement yet, but Benfica is willing to sell Fernandez. Fernandez wants to go to Chelsea, and there's a 105 million euro release clause that Todd Bowley is willing to pay. And this could be the marquee signing that Todd Bowley has craved. 21 years old, we all saw his performances at the World Cup. Excellent passer, a driver of the offense. Well, actually. More of an engine, rather. Messi was the driver. But this guy has a lot of potential. Only 21. Can play as a box-to-box midfielder, central midfielder, even an attacking midfielder. And Chelsea needs someone, need a midfielder that can kickstart the attack. And Fernandez fits the profile. For 100 uh, million euros, he uh, better be ready right away. <laughs> yeah, and... By the way, Fernandez just joined Benfica last summer. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a reason why the release cost is so high. So he know get out of that contract. And this is go like if this deal goes through, and I'm a little bit worried that it won't because of you know transfers of the past. But this would be Chelsea's most expensive signing ever, and this is a Statement signing, and despite Chelsea's poor form, the fact that Fernandez wants to come is even better. And it looks like they're still negotiating, and it's only a matter of time. And hopefully, it gets done as soon as possible. So for Tottenham, it's been tough after the World Cup. You were saying uh, it's more of the same for Chelsea, it's more of the same for Spurs. Um, you know what? Two games. Uh, they had the uh, Boxing Day draw, two-two uh, versus Brentford, and then New Year's Day, a loss of two nothing to Austin Villa. Unite Emery just keeps showing up uh, against Spurs. I mean, any team that that guy manages, you know that it's going to be a very very tough one for Spurs. I don't really want to talk about the individual games because it's going to be more of the same. But it basically, 
looking at these three games and kind of looking at about the, a little bit of the history before, because they've only won two games out of their last seven, three things kind of pop up. One, anytime the spurt, uh, Tottenham has the ball, their possession isn't really all that meaningful. They're having a really, really difficult time breaking down teams that play defensive. They don't have enough creativity within their midfield to get around or to penetrate through that through such a strong and basically a very, very solid and rigid defense. And we saw that especially in the first half of the Austin Villa game, where it was tough for, uh, for Spurs to even really get much of a shot. You know, they're at, at all, all that Conte is doing is having them move further up, further up, further up. But it's basically, it's making them so compact north-south that it just takes a simple ball to get over them and whoever's playing against them can counter very, very easily. That's what we saw uh, against uh, Austin Villa and how uh, Spurs were able to get beat. Now, again, one of the things that also led to that, and we've seen it before, is the errors that are coming out of this side. Um, they've they've lost five goals this season so far through either goalkeeping or defensive errors. That's two more than any other side in the Premier League. And it does beg a question of Hugo Lloris. We're talking about a player that has been absolutely phenomenal for Tottenham. He came into the team uh, way, way back in the day from Marseille when Spurs were definitely not uh, doing all that well. He's been now with the club for over 10 years and he's helped solidify that back line and he's helped bring uh, a sense of calm back there. Uh, I mean, that was something that was needed, especially when you're playing with something like uh, Huermo Gomez, which, you know, is absolutely phenomenal if you're going to take a shot from a yard out, but you know that that 30 or 40 yard shot is going to go in. My problem with Larice is I do wonder if his time is done. I, I feel it's starting, like he, to show. it's starting to show he is entering that point in his career. And I hate to say this because I, I, I love the guy as a player. I think he's done. I think he has been one of the best ambassadors for the club. He's the captain. I mean, this is the captain we're talking about. So, I mean, I, I, I have to keep that in mind, but I do feel that it is, it's his time to mentor the next guy coming up. I don't know who that's going to be. In the summer, Spurs let go of about two or three of their top quality goalkeepers that were in the in their pipeline. So they don't really have a lot that's left within who they have. They're going to have to look elsewhere. One of the guys they're looking at right now is Jordan Pickford. Again, he's not a guy that really needs a lot of mentoring. Uh, Pickford's in his late 20s, but he is a guy that would be able to, I think, make an easy transition to Spurs. And he's a guy that, you know, you you get like five or six years out of him. So it's not necessarily the worst move in the world. I'm hoping that they're expanding their net a little bit bigger when they're looking at a goalkeeper. It's not really the position we're talking about, uh, at least publicly. But I want it to be the one that they're talking about with a, with a greater sense of urgency in the front office. And I really hope that they are because this is a question that I think a lot of Spurs fans have had for a while, but it's now starting to kind of poke through the cracks in that the people that have been against Hugo Lloris for say one or two years are feeling a lot more confident voicing their opinions. Uh, and it's got people like me listening. 
The other thing is we have to look at Antonio Conte himself. Yes, this guy has come in. He is a marquee manager. He has got more points and more goals in his first year than any other manager that's kind of existed. But I don't know if he fits the profile for what Tottenham is supposed to be. He's His teams, I hate to say it, aren't all that fun to watch. No, they aren't. They aren't. No. And the thing is, is it's reminding me a lot more of someone like Danny Levy bringing in Jose Mourinho because he's a big name. Not necessarily that he is the right fit for the team that he is the chairman of, right? You you take a look at these two defensive managers. You can even go back uh, and look at, uh, oh, oh, man, the, the guy that who last like 10 games that came from Wolves. Uh, Santo, right? Yeah. All of these guys are very, very defensive-minded, and that's not what Tottenham is. Tottenham is supposed to be an explosive attacking team, right? They're a team that relies on speed and youth. And right now we're having youth growth stifled and speed isn't going anywhere because we don't have enough creativity to get these guys the balls in the first place. I don't necessarily think Conte's time is up, but I need Conte to change as much as he wants the team to change to suit him. There needs to be a meeting in the middle somewhere. My fear is that with Conte being around so, so long, he's not going to be willing to do it. Conte is a very stubborn individual. He's one of the most stubborn guys that you can meet in football. I mean, in my mind, this this goes back to when Potichano left, and I was still begging at the time when he was available that they didn't go for Julian Nagelsmann. That my frustration still goes to that, that I still want a guy like that. I want a guy who brings in new ideas, a guy that is willing to take a little bit of a risk to see if it'll pay off. None of these guys that they've brought in, these last three managers are willing to do that. And I, I feel like Spurs finally got into the top four in, in getting consistent champions league back in, uh, you know, the 2010s, right? They, they were there for about five, six seasons in a row. They made it to a final and getting into that final and losing was a crisis of faith. All of a sudden they believed that they should, that they should be able to stay at that level. They just didn't know how to do it. So they went ultra defensive thinking that if we shore ourselves up and we hide ourselves in a tidy little shell, we'll get to stay here. They might. Yeah. but they will never grow beyond that. That's my fear. And they've been stagnant now for four, let's say four, possibly five years because of that. This whole idea of trying to insulate themselves and hold on to what they have rather than saying, okay, we hit this threshold. How do we move beyond it? And they're not how doing do we, that right now. How do we get better long-term? Exactly, right? Than holding on to the players that we currently have that couldn't win anything. Because the thing is, is if you want to hold on and only be a top four side, sooner or later, everyone else that is moving up and wanting to kind of push beyond that is going to push beyond that. And we're starting to see that this season, right? Right now, Tottenham feels like a Europa-level side. So it's frustrating, but I'm not surprised. Now, what are they going to do to fix that? Well, they're again, they're not like uh, like Chelsea where they're spending all this money before the transfer windows even open. 
I kind of wish they were. We had that one transfer window, but you know, where Spurs were spending money like crazy in the summer. But I mean, let's be honest, that's an outlier. This is Danny Levy we're talking about. He's not going to spend money until it's the 11th hour, right? Stingy guy, Daniel Levy. Very Sorry? stingy guy. Oh, very stingy, stingy guy. Got a stingy director and a stubborn manager. Yeah. And the thing is, is, I mean, uh, as a, a chairperson, he's a guy that there's other clubs that refuse to work with him already at this point because they know how difficult it is to work with, right? Right. You know, there are and- two names that are being talked about in terms of bringing in uh, players in. One is Pedro Porro. Uh, he could come. Uh, Spurs have made a bid for about 35 million pounds from Sporting Lisbon. Uh, this would solve their right back issue. Uh, right back is a weird one. Emerson looks like he's on his way out, even though he's still being used. Uh, Matt Doherty, a guy that I think should actually be given a bit more of a shot, especially since uh, with Conte in, they're playing more in a style that fits his natural role. He can't even get into the squad barely. Jed Spence, the the guy who won player of the year in the championship last year, comes in, big fanfare. Has he even played a full game yet? I don't think so. No. Like it's it's been frustrating. So they need someone in that position to take it and, and kind of run with it. The problem is, is is uh Pedro Porro, it's got about a 40 million pound release clause. They're only five million off, but it doesn't seem like Spurs really want to match to go and get that extra 5 million, which is frustrating, right? If this is the guy that you want, 40 million in this market is not a lot. Pay it. Oh, in this market, not, yeah. not a lot at all. It's decent now, money. that they are looking at is a, a guy that actually really, really kind of schooled Tottenham uh, in, in European football is Marcus Edwards. Uh, Edwards, uh, again, uh, playing in Spain, he is uh, a graduate of the Tottenham Academy, only played a handful of games uh, before getting moved on. He has a $60 million release clause, but Spurs hold a 50% sell-on clause. So if they pay that $60 million, they're getting $30 million of it back. It's a great idea to bring this guy back because he's progressed to the point where he can come into a side and he can at least bring in some creativity in the attacking third of the park, possibly putting pressure to be that secondary striker as well, which is something, you know, we've had a, a bit of a revolving door with uh, with secondary strikers because you get all these guys come in for a year realizing they're never going to upset, upset Harry Kane, right? The only way you're going to play if Harry Kane's in the side is if he is injured. And then if he's injured, chances are before you as a secondary striker, they're going to try Lucas Mora or Hun, uh, Sun Hyun Min in that position before you. So I do like the idea of Edwards, but my hope is that he comes with ambition. He comes with ambition to say, I'm going to break up a little bit of this old guard that you have here, and I'm going to force my way into the side. That's what I want to see. I hope this is one they get done because I think it will shake up a little bit of that stagnation that has been happening. Other players that they are looking at right now, we talked a little bit about uh, Denzel Dumfries, um, about whether or not he's going to be moving from Inter Milan. He does hold about a 30 million euro uh, price tag right now. But again, he's another guy that instead of Pedro Porro could solve that right back issue. It's going to be a, a question as to which one they decide to go with. And again, this is another one that seems to be out of left field because they were after this player in the summer when he was with a completely different team in Frank Kessie. 
Frank Kessie was playing in Italy before this, and he was going to be a free if uh, they were able to bring him in and help with their midfield. Good option, creative player, would be nice, good passer of the ball. He didn't go to Spurs. He went to Barcelona. Barcelona. Well, it looks like yep. they're looking at him again. Now, I don't know what you're going to be able to get him for, being that he's only been with Barcelona for six months. It does seem like a bit of a weird one, but it is another guy they're looking at for this window. Again, all of this is talk. I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know when it's going to happen because of who is running this club. And it's starting to get really, really frustrating. A lot of the optimism that I had in the summer in the fact that all of a sudden the purse strings were released and they're buying all these players and they're going to actually make a team. They're going to be progressive and young and, and attacking and it never manifested. So I'm stuck wondering is, is this more of the same? Yeah, I get what, the thing I get with Tottenham is lack of ambition, stagnation, trying to hold on to the, whatever they have and it's not working. That's exactly it. They're trying to hold on to whatever they have rather than take the risk to move up. That risk might not pay off. I get that. But you got to do something because if you don't do anything, you will fall because everyone else is going to pass you by. It's, it's going to be a matter looking of, to get uh, what happens. Yep. Yeah. Now, the only other good news, I guess you can say, is uh, Dejan Kulishevsky, who has been great for Spurs since he has come in. We're talking about a creative player. This is one guy that can do it. When he came in, in the January transfer window last year, in that half of a season, he ended up leading the team in, in assists. He just won Swedish Footballer of the Year. Uh, again, you know, uh, nice to be recognized. He is a guy that's not in the lineup right now. He's uh, got a little bit of a, a knock, so he is hoping to come in soon. And I do get that Spurs, since the World Cup, are dealing with a number of injuries. Roberto Bentancourt hasn't come back yet. Richarlson hasn't come back yet. Yves Basuma hasn't come back, even though he wasn't, you know, playing for his team, but he was uh, suffering injuries as well. Uh, Cristiano uh, Romero hasn't come back yet. These are big, big name players that would go into a starting lineup. Hopefully that gets soon. They do have a game today, so hopefully it does get uh, sorted. They will be playing Crystal Palace later on today. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Benton Core could be coming up pretty soon. He is back in training. I think it's a little bit early. They might look at, say, maybe on the weekend when they got their FA Cup match against Portsmouth, give them a little bit of an ease in. But the other players, I don't know. It's going to be uh, – we're still waiting. Apparently, Richarlson was going for another scan on his thigh uh, to see uh, why oh. it's taking so long because uh, that's, again, a World Cup injury. So, yeah, they're they're having to deal with a lot of things. And the, 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 that's the other, the other frustrating things is Tottenham had – one of the most uh, for a domestic club had one of the most number of their players playing in the world cup and doing well, but they can't do it domestically. So yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, a bundle of frustration when it comes to it right now. A lot of frustration for both Chelsea and Tottenham. So as you've heard sad news over the past week or so, the original goat soccer first superstar Pele has died at the age of 82 in hospital in Brazil, had a gone-to-gone treatment for colon cancer since 2021, but was in the hospital for the last month of his life because the cancer got worse. Yeah, um, funeral uh, happened uh, just yesterday that I believe. Um, 
and uh, it, it, it was notable for the individuals that showed and notable for the individuals that did not show. There was a, no, a lot of, uh, of Brazilian players, current Brazilian players, that did not come to the funeral. And it was a little bit surprising. Now, I would have thought they would have been released by clubs to come, uh, especially for someone like this. Uh, someone that would have uh, been a, a massive influence, not only in their careers, but personal lives. But um, yeah, they didn't come. Uh, we're talking about names like Neymar, even players that were just recently uh, retired, like Kaka. He wasn't there, so yeah, a bit surprising. But yeah, you're right. Original goat. Uh, I I don't think you're going to see a player that played like him, and that was also as enigmatic and as enigmatic and individual as he was. Right, and he paved the way for so many. His influence was just, even after he retired, the influence was on, like, really high. Yeah. And this is before our time, but the only player to win three World Cups was, scored plenty of goals, put, like, was the guy kids looked up to before Zidane, before Messi, before Maradona, before Ronaldo. He was the guy that kids looked up to. And now he and Maradona will be playing football in the sky. <laughs> it was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Infantino, who was at the funeral, uh, and he uh, made some remarks. He was talking about uh, that he would hope. Now, he's not saying that everyone has to do this. Obviously, he has no say in the matter. But he would hope that every country in the world renames one stadium after Pele. And based on that, uh, Cabo Verde has already done so. Their prime minister has actually come out and renamed their national stadium. It's going to be renamed Pele Stadium. So it's kind of interesting uh, to see, uh, you know, at least one of the smaller nations of the world doing that. I don't think you're going to get maybe a handful. That I don't, will, that will I don't think, uh, like, some countries will do it, but... Oh, yeah, some. No. I, especially in the Spanish-speaking world. Or, uh, sorry, uh, Brazil, the Portuguese-speaking world. But, yeah, I don't see that. I don't think you're going to have Pele Stadium uh, where BC places, right? Right, and... There's a little connection to Vancouver here because Pele made his first NASL appearance in 1975 when he was playing for the New York Cosmos in a friendly against the Vancouver Whitecaps at the old Empire Stadium. Did you see uh, th that old uh, clipping from the newspaper was has been circulating about Pele talking about the, the Whitecaps and being like, oh, this is actually a good team. He didn't realize yep. that there was football in Canada. <laughs> and he, he saw... But the White Cats were, and he complimented them. Yeah, yeah. And to get crazy from him, it was nice to. It was nice. So rest in peace to Pele, and he, he lived a extraordinary life and an extraordinary soccer career. Yeah. Um, so here's some little news: Club Bruges have a Bruges have a new manager, and that is former Tottenham interim manager Scott Parker. Yeah. Um... Parker, uh, who was a, a midfielder back in the day with Spurs, uh, moved up into management. He has managed uh, teams like, oh, what was recently? Bournemouth, I believe, uh, a few others, uh, Fulham. Uh, yep. He's done pretty well at actually getting teams promoted from the championship into, into the Premier League, but then having a little bit of a struggle there as well. I think he's done that with uh, two separate teams. But he is now going to be managing the likes of Kyle Laren and Tejan Buchanan at Club Bruges. Yeah, kind of a and, weird one in my mind, but 
You know what? All yeah. right. All right. So Bruges fourth in the Belgian Pro League. One one in their Boxing Day game against Odoi Heverly Leuven, and I believe they struggled for in recent outings. So they guess had to make the managerial change because Bruges is one of the top clubs in Belgium. They are. Um, they're uh, they're one that's it's going to Bruges could stand to lose a few players with the, this transfer window, so that could hurt them. It's going to uh, remain remain to be seen, and it's going to be interesting to see what Parker can do in a brand new country. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how his managing skills from the championship transfer over. Yeah, fired from Bournemouth, and now he in Belgium. And apparently, according to Daily Mail, he admits he doesn't know any real details about his squad. Oh, that'll be fun. Decent start. Yeah, it's just okay, but it's it it is a weird hire. It's like when uh, what was it when uh, David Moyes went to what was it like Real Sociedad or whatever it was? It just seemed very strange. Yeah, this is one same energy in yeah. some ways. And uh, here, talking about the strange, Cristiano Ronaldo, we have heard the news, if you haven't been living under a rock, has signed with Al Nazir in Saudi Arabia for a contract that could be up to anywhere between like $200 million a season. Now, that does include uh, some commercial rights within that, but it is the most expensive contract in football history. Yep. And a 37-year-old was... I mean, his time at Manchester United, second stint rather, ended on a low note, and hardly anyone wanted to sign him. There was interest in MLS, including born in Kansas City. Yeah. Which yeah. is a name I did not expect. But he goes to Al Nasir in Saudi Arabia, richest contract in, in football. I guess he's riding off into the sunset with the money. Well, that's so, how you see this is. This, this is for the money. Because he talked about, I want to play Champions League. I want to play Champions League. I want to play at a top level. Apparently, there were a few clubs that are current in the Champions League in Europe that were interested, but didn't go so far. So he didn't get European Champions League, but then he goes to a team that's not even in the Asian Champions League. Yeah, and he, he told Piers Morgan that he wants to play at a high level. I mean, Saudi Arabian League... It is high, but it's not high as Europe. Did you uh, see the clips of his press conference? Where he said he was excited to be playing in South, South Africa? Africa? Yeah. So uh, that, that went well. <laughs> that went well. Good geography right there. Yeah. Hopefully his son so, will be tutored by him. So Al Nasir has gained a lot of fans over the past few days. Their Twitter following uh, in two days went from about 800,000 to almost 6 million. And my guess is that it's grown from there. Their English account has 800K, but their actual account is 3.7 million. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll remain what he can do there. Because, I mean, yes, he he. let's be honest, he is a great player, but you need players around you to be good as well. Otherwise, you get stifled. So, I, I don't know. I, I yeah, think he'll paycheck. He'll be there for a year and a half, two years. And uh, w- when he retires, we'll go, oh, yeah, that guy. 
yeah, he's fading out. And Ronaldo, I mean, you could say, like, he's finished and all that. And by the way, he did make fun of Xavi when he left Barcelona to play in Saudi Arabia back in 2015. Oh, did he? It was a turn. Yeah, he, he kind of joked about it, I remember. Wow. So, imagine telling that to someone in 2015 that Ronaldo would follow in Xavi's footsteps in some way. Yeah. it's. Uh, I, I guess that's one of those comments you make that kind of bites you in the ass later on. Yeah, I mean, he they also said in 2018, players of my age go to Qatar. Well, he didn't go to Qatar, but he's in Saudi Arabia. Close enough. Yeah, I mean, hey. Oh, yeah. I just thought, hope you win a trip. Just thought a quote in 2016. Xavi plays in Qatar. That isn't even right. He went to Saudi Arabia. Or I don't know where. He never won a Ballon d'Or. I have three. Well, Cristiano has won, I believe, six now. Now he's in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I I don't know. I, this whole comparison of, like, I've won this, I've won this. It just It's such a childish thing. I don't know. Yep. Fine. Bye. Fine. I mean, more money for you then. Yeah. Okay, before we wrap up, here is a wild story. So, U.S. men's national team Greg, Bar- Greg head coach Greg Berhalter revealed last night he was the subject of a blackmail plot at the World Cup. And he did reveal in a Twitter post that he did kick his girlfriend, now his wife, during at a bar during a drunken argument in 1991. But after, he sought counseling, and he regrets what he did to this day. And the U.S. Men's National Team has worked with lawyers to reveal this, to work around this investigation. And apparently, it has just been revealed in the past hour by ESPN FC that the guy involved in the blackmail plot was his former teammate, Claudio Reyna, father of Gino Reyna. Gio Reyna sent multiple messages to U.S. soccer executives during the World Cup, threatening to reveal sensitive details, which have now been revealed by Berhalter himself, about his past, because mainly due to the lack of playing time for Gio. And other reports are saying that it was mom, it was his mom, that was sending the blackmail threat. Oh, she, oh apparently she did confirm that she cont- contacted the USSF to reveal sensitive information about Greg Berhalter in a statement given to The Athletic. Yeah, they're saying it was both Claudio Reyna and his wife, Danielle, that sent messages, uh, more than one message, to uh, U.S. Soccer Federation threatening to reveal the personal information. And it was uh, that the messages started after Berhalter said that uh, Gio Reyna would play a limited role. Yep, Uh, that's when it started. And this is wild because, I mean... I mean, I talked about how much I liked the arena and how he deserved to play, and I've criticized Greg Berhalter as a coach, many have. But this is obviously way too far. Yeah, and the thing is, is when this, uh, I mean, act of violence, let's call it what, what it is, in 1991 happened, they separated. They they were, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. They broke up, and they left. But they got back, they they got back together. Eight months later, 
and worked through whatever it was. And you're right. Counseling was a part of that. And they've now been married for 25 years. Now, the thing is, is I have no idea what's going on in those 25 years. My hope is that it actually was worked out and there's nothing going on currently. Berhalter has said that they've had four children, including current white cap Sebastian. Their marriage has been, in the statement he said, the marriage has been pretty good. But at the time, over those few months, Berhalter feared that he lost Rosalind. And they both worked it out. Greg, as I said, received counseling. He sought forgiveness and has since regretted his past. And he is fully aware that he has made a mistake and one that now haunts him. So he has cooperated along with his wife with the U.S. soccer investigation and won't speak about it for the time being. His wife has also put out a statement as well, too, talking about uh, basically going through the the process of forgiveness and accepting uh, Bear, or Greg Bearhalter afterwards and working through it. So uh, she's on his side, at least publicly. I mean, say what you want about Greg Berhalter as a coach. Uh, he didn't deserve to go through this and has since changed as a person since 1991. Uh, but people are, there's a debate going on Twitter saying that he should be let go because of this. I mean, he's had, I mean, contract. Are you going to let someone go for something that happened 32 years ago that for the individual in question has already been dealt with? And has since admitted that he did it and has learned from his... But the person that it was being done to, Right. You know, yeah, has forgiven him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That makes no sense to me. I mean, f- get rid of him, fine for you know the for if you don't think that he is deserving of football, football, yeah, performance. But for something thirty-two years ago that where the individuals in question have worked their way through it, it has absolutely nothing to do with anyone else. And the Reynas, I mean, we talk. You know, you played hockey, like angry hockey parents. But then there's angry soccer parent. Like, I, like, I'm stunned just like reading everything that has developed. And just getting all that worked up, threatening a man because he wouldn't let your son play. I mean, your the son has talent sure, and deserve to play more, but that is unhinged behavior by Claudio Reyna and his wife. And for Greg, I guess things are in shambles now. I don't know what what's going to transpire. I don't think U.S. soccer would let him go for something that was done um, 31 years ago and has been since been forgiven for and has been, he has been rehabilitated since. But this U.S. soccer drama is, this is like a soap opera, but in real life. Yeah, pretty much. This is, this is crazy. Anyway. So that is a wild end to this episode. (laughs) Happy New Year to you. Hope you enjoyed it. Tell us what we're doing right, tell us what we're doing wrong. Follow me on Twitter at JoshRay91. 
Nathan is at Anduric. Uh, podcast is at Terminal City FC. Check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. This is, um, you know, fun for us. And we really like doing it. We want to keep doing it for as long as we can. So your constructive criticism and feedback is always welcome. Tell your friends to listen. Tell your family. More listeners would be great. It can help us grow. And as the window goes on, and as we creep closer to Whitecap season, we'll be talking more footy content. So that concludes this week's episode. Peace out. Take care.